Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ezekiel 47, as we're starting the new year with a new series called A River Runs Through It. And I believe this is a, a, obviously about our community. There's a river runs through our community, but I believe it's also prophetic that we're in this location at this time, in this region, this community. And so a uh, river runs through it. Ezekiel 47 will be in verse 1. And as you turn there, I was thinking about this message. RJ and Alicia and myself went camping, I think, Monday evening. So we can't go camping with Toya's in town. Toya and the girls were in Haiti. And so Toya looks at camping as like the Marriott. We're looking at camping as like a tent and a campfire and cooking over the fire, the whole nine yards. So we get the tent together, get all the stuff together. We go out to the, the campground, and RJ's trying to fish, and, and we're trying to sleep, and RJ is like cackling as loud as he can cackle and laugh all night long. It's like 33 degrees. We're freezing. Alicia's crying because RJ is drooling into her hair. I'm crying because I'm sleeping on this little sleeping bag that I don't fit in, so I'm freezing to death. I'm fully clothed. And it was just terrible. So I get up the next morning. The fire died out. I'm trying to restart a fire. I didn't have a lighter. I thought I put a lighter in a bag. Thank God I had some matches I used for an emergency in the car just in case, you know, I stranded and needed to build a fire. Starting a fire with little matches, which matches never work. So I'm starting this fire. Finally, I get it going, and me and RJ start cooking, right? So we're cooking sausage and eggs over the fire. And the wind comes by, and you can start seeing the flow of this river we're camping on in Mississippi, and as you see the flow, you can see where the water comes from and where the water goes. And life has a flow to it just like the river has. Like you know at the Tennessee River which way it's going. It's going from the east to the west. You know the direction, where it's coming from and where it is going. And life has the same thing. We know where it starts and where it ends. But in between, life can flow in many different ways. Many times it can get really stale and stagnant like it's a pool or a pond. Sometimes it floods us. Sometimes it moves too fast. Sometimes it moves too slow. And the problem with it is you can't really change the flow of life. You are going from birth to death. You can try to adapt to it at some point, but you can't stop the flow and you can't make it flow. You just have to learn to flow with it. In the same way, our world, our culture has a flow to it. Our country, our nation has a flow to it. It's pleasure, treasure, measure, and leisure or leisure. Meaning, we look for ways, our world looks for ways to have pleasure. How can we take care of ourselves? How can I gratify myself? How can I improve myself? How can I just have fun? How can I just do what I want to do? Leisure is how can I entertain myself while I'm going on, on to the end of my life? How can I just kill time and, and just get through life? Treasure is your money. How can I just accumulate, accumulate, and accumulate? Measure is power. And we see these all in our world. We see our country where there's a flow to it, where there's power struggles. You see politics, right and left, right wing, left wing, Republican, Democrat, and it's trying to suck us into this flow. We see Hollywood and culture trying to suck us into social media and comparison and vanity. We see culture trying to suck us into this flow for the world is flowing in a certain direction. We look many times at Scripture and say, well, of course the world is, is flowing in a certain direction. Well, the shoals is flowing in a certain direction as well. Many times we look at Scripture, we think, well, the world, that's, that's New York City. That's L.A. It's also our community. And our community may look different, but it's flowing in a certain direction. It flows through the lens of, of I'm going to try to make a name for myself in my town. I'm going to try to elevate myself over other people. It has a flow of religion that lacks power. It lacks relationship. It's full of tradition, but no power. It's full of living life through the flow of your kids and what your kids want and what your kids desire. There's a flow to our community, and once you get sucked into the flow, it's very difficult to get out. A couple years ago, we went to Christmas in Ohio, and there's a Great Wolf Lodge, which is an indoor water park, in Ohio. We went, 
there's water slides, and so I went down the slides with the kids, but there's also this thing called the Lazy River, which I believe is, should be called the Dad's River. That's where we want to just let me go to the Lazy River and leave me alone. Y'all can slide, y'all can do whatever, but once you get in this Lazy River, it just circles. It just moves. You get in your little inner tube and you're gone. But once you get in that flow, I promise you, it's very difficult to start swimming back upstream. And what happens is once you get sucked into the flow of culture, the flow of life, the flow of the world, it's very difficult to stop it and change it. The only thing you can do is take yourself out of the flow and put yourself into another flow, which is, I believe, what God wants to speak to you today. If you would, stand to your feet as we read Ezekiel 47 together. So I'm going to set this scripture up. This is Ezekiel the prophet. An angel comes and starts showing him some things. And this is what the angel shows him. It says, then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold to the temple, south of the altar. Everybody say altar. So this river that this angel is showing Ezekiel, it's starting at the altar inside the temple. It started, the altar was the place God lived at. It's where his presence dwelt. So this river starts at the presence of God, and it begins to move outwardly. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling on the south side. Everybody say trickle. So this river that starts at the presence of God leaves out of the temple, and it's just a little trickle, just a little bit of water trickling out. But going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Everybody say ankle deep. So it's trickling. Now it's getting a little bit deeper. Now it's getting a little ankle deep. And he takes him farther. And again, he measured a thousand, led me through the water and it was knee deep. Everybody say knee deep. And again, he measured another thousand, led me through the water and it was waist deep. And again, say waist deep. And again, he measured another thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said, says to me, son of man, have you seen this? He said, do you see this river? It started out of nowhere. It started out of the building in the temple where the presence of God is. It started as a trickle. Then it turned ankle deep, little kiddie pool. Then it was knee deep, like a little shallow end. Then it was waist deep, like you're getting out towards the deep. Then it was waist deep, pretty deep. Then there's a river you can't even swim in. But it all started nowhere. It all started not in a physical place, but in a spiritual place. Some of you need to know this, that God cannot trust you with the deep things of God until he can trust you with the trickle that starts at the presence of the Lord. And some of you have only experienced a trickle of God, and God wants you to experience ankle deep, the presence of God. Some of you want you to experience knee deep. Some of you waist deep. Some of you, he wants you to jump in the river and start flowing in the ways of God instead of the ways of the world. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the side of the river, very many trees on the one side and on the other. Many. He saw trees on the Lauderdale County side. And yes, even on the godforsaken Cobber County side, he saw a river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Meaning that salt water that kills people when they drink it, when God touches it, it turns into life. And he says, wherever this river goes, and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Ingalame, and it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be for very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. RJ went fishing the other day. This is a complete side story. He went fishing. I went to check on him, FaceTime him. Buddy, you okay? He's like, Dad, this ain't good. It's not okay. Which I'm scared. Like, I'm afraid somebody got hurt, somebody got stabbed. You know, RJ's a little crazy. Uh, what's wrong? He said, well, I ain't gonna say any names, but I was fishing, I laid my pole down to wash my hands off, and somebody's supposed to wash my pole, and I got a bite, and the fish stole my fishing pole. I said, how do you go fishing, and the fish wins? Like, the fish caught you. The fish took $25 from you. You better go get it back. <laughs> All kinds of fish, but it swamps and marshes, and on the banks on both sides of the river, they will grow. On both sides of the river. 
Colbert County and Lauderdale County, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This ain't a normal type of river. I don't know, but you jump in the Tennessee River hoping to get healed, you're probably going to get sick. This is a different type of river. Everywhere this river goes, everything it touches, things change. Things start to grow. Things people said that will never change, they begin to change. Things people say, that'll never work. That's dead. There's no hope for that. Begin to sprout up with life. Wherever this river goes, it produces life. And this river is not a normal river. This river flows out of the presence of God into the world around us. And God is looking for people to jump in the flow of his river and get out of the flow of the world. Father, we thank you that you are a life-giving God, that you are not like this world. You do not take away from us. You don't make us suffer. You don't, you don't steal from us. You give us life and give us life to the fullest. And Father, we thank you for a kingdom that is not perishing. We thank you for a kingdom that is not shaken. We thank you for a kingdom that is everlasting. And Father, we thank you for an invitation into your kingdom. And Father, we say your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This river is unlike any other river. But I think it's interesting that this river flows differently than every other river. And I think the point is this, that it's 2020, people got New Year's resolutions, people are trying to change things about their lives and all, all these goals they've set. And I can tell you, you're never going to discover the full life. And I, and I believe Jesus wants you to have full life. You're never going to discover the full life that Jesus died that he left heaven and came to earth, he suffered, he died, he bled, he went to the grave, and he resurrected for you to have. He didn't just die for you to say you can go to heaven. He died so you could have life and have it more abundantly. You'll never discover that full life until you step out of the flow of the world, out of the flow of culture, out of the flow of the shoals and jump into, discover your purpose and who you are in the flow of God's kingdom. You will not, you will never experience the full life going along with the flow of the world. And how do you discover this flow of the kingdom of God? It, it's easy. This is our church mission statement. And I had this revelation a couple of weeks ago. This is my life statement. And it is, we want to honor God, meaning God saved me. I want to honor him with everything I have, with my marriage, with my kids, with my life, with my mouth, with my finances. I want to honor him with everything I am. I want to honor him with how I do things. Then I'm called to make disciples. I'm a disciple who makes disciples, meaning I want to share who God has made me to be with other people. I want to model who Jesus is to other people and help them become everything Jesus died for them to be. And thirdly, we make an impact. I want to make an impact. I want this river to flow through my life and make a difference in West Florence. I want to make a difference in my neighborhood. I want to make a difference in the Dream Center. I want my life to make an impact. And I believe your purpose is to honor God, make disciples, and make an impact. If you can get those three things, you will live a life to the fullest. You will live a life that is fulfilled. You'll live a life of joy, of hope, and you'll make a difference with your entire life, not just your Sunday morning. And I believe once you get that, we're going to unpack this in the next few weeks. Once you get that, this river starts to flow in your life and makes a difference, not just in you, but around you and through you in the same way. And so this river, and this river to me is a very prophetic river for our region. Like when you look at the history of our region, this Tennessee River is, everything's built around us for a reason. They think this river gives life. This river produces power through TVA and through the dams. This river produces, produces watering for all the irrigation, for crops, produces all these things. But let me prophetically, God has placed Florence, Alabama, the Shoals, Alabama, on this river prophetically because God wants his church to be a river flowing into the world around us. He wants the church to be the power that, t that goes out from the church into the community. He wants the church to flow out and bring life, that everything the church touches 
produces life and hope and joy and love and everything else. So in order to get to that place, and I believe God is taking us to that place, we have to know what is this river and where does this river come from? What is this river, this amazing river that Ezekiel saw, what is it and where does it come from? Well, this river is the kingdom of heaven. Touch your neighbor and say the kingdom of heaven. This river is the kingdom of heaven. And it goes out from the sanctuary, and wherever the kingdom of heaven goes, it makes an impact. It produces life. It produces hope wherever it goes and whatever it touches. And the kingdom of heaven is this. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere. Anywhere. Doesn't matter if it's at Auburn, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or at the Tennessee Titans Stadium. Anywhere there is. God's rule. God's reign and God's will is accomplished. That's where his kingdom is. It's not, it's not restricted by boundaries or by state lines or by, by flags or by governments. It's anywhere. Anywhere where God's reign is welcomed. Anywhere where his rule is obeyed and anywhere where his will is accomplished. That is where God's kingdom is. And this river is flowing. It's saying wherever God is honored, Wherever his reign is obeyed, wherever his rules are applied, wherever his will is accomplished, that's where the river is flowing to. And this river, this kingdom, this was Jesus' favorite sermon to preach. Jesus preached the message of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, more than any other message he ever preached. He preached it more than on finances, more than on love, more than on salvation. When you read the New Testament, You'll see over and over and over and over again, he says things like this. His first message is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of heaven. You see him say, well, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And indeed, he gives a parable. The disciples would ask a lot about the kingdom of heaven. So we read in scripture, Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven or the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. But we've been brought up only hearing about the gospel of salvation. So somebody has overemphasized something that Jesus didn't overemphasize. Not to say the gospel of salvation is bad, but Jesus primarily taught this gospel of the kingdom of heaven. So why would that be? Well, I think it's very easy to say, here's the gospel of salvation. This gospel of salvation is simply this. That is what has to do with Jesus saves your soul, the blood that covers your soul and gets you a ticket to heaven. That is the gospel of salvation. Gets you to heaven, soul. But the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is everything that Jesus fixed and restored through the cross. Everything. So the gospel of salvation is simply the entry point into the kingdom of heaven. We've been brought up, all we've, all we've heard is, you know what, you know, you're a sinner, you need to repent, you need to get saved, you get baptized, and everything will be better. Or, hey, you know, your life is not going the way you want it to go. 2020 is a great chance to start over. If you just raise your hand today and, and say this little prayer to me, everything's going to get better. The problem is most of us have lived long enough to know that's not true. Many people raised their hand and said a prayer. Nothing changed. See, in our Bible Belt Christianity, we only preach part of the gospel. We don't preach the whole gospel. Because we don't want to offend people by telling people that the flow that they're in in culture, their tradition they're flowing in, their family traditions they're flowing in, are going the opposite direction of the kingdom of heaven. See, that's offensive. If I just tell you, just raise your hand, say yes to Jesus, try to live your life better. If you mess up, ask for forgiveness, and we're all going to heaven, da 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 The gospel of salvation is just an entry point into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is all the stuff Jesus died for you to have. Like it's the door to the castle. If he's the king, there's his castle. And this salvation is just the key to go into the door. But then you have the kingdom of heaven, which is all these rooms. Rooms of healing. Rooms of joy. Rooms of peace. Rooms of freedom. Rooms of power. All these rooms of the kingdom that God, when you get saved, says, All this is yours in Jesus. In Jesus, you can have all this. This is your inheritance in Jesus. But we're stuck with this gospel. It just gets us to the door. We get to the door and we're like, it's a pretty cool place. We never walk in. It's just the entryway. And what I've learned is the entryway, it's a great place to start. It's a terrible place to live. 
Could you tell your kids, they come back from college, hey, let us move back home for a while, and can, can we have a room? You can't have a room, but I'm going to give you the doorway. You can have this front threshold of the door. That's not very comfortable. It's hard to sleep. You're still exposed to the elements. You still get rain, still get heat, still get cold. People have to step over you to come home for dinner. Like, it's not comfortable. It's a terrible place to live. Yet so many believers live at the threshold of the kingdom instead of entering into the kingdom. That's why after they get saved, they start living at this threshold. After a matter of time, they get uncomfortable, they get frustrated, nothing changes, and they give up and go back into the world because they never entered into God's kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven is this. God has paid for you to come into his house. He's called you his son or daughter, and he's invited you in, and the kingdom of heaven releases you to understand and obtain and possess everything Jesus died for you to have. His rule, his way. He rules. Listen, he rules over sickness and disease. You don't learn that at the threshold. You learn that in his house. He rules over pain and anxiety and stress and depression. You don't learn that at the threshold. You learn that in the house. That is the kingdom of heaven. That is the gospel of the kingdom. And we have to learn the gospel of the kingdom because the kingdom is what changes things not just salvation. See, the kingdom of heaven, you have to get out of the flow of one kingdom, out of the kingdom of the world, out of the kingdom of the shoals, out of the kingdom of your family. You have to get out of that flow, out of that river, and then get into the river of the kingdom of heaven. And in that kingdom, in that river, it's going a different direction. You may lose some family members. You may lose some friends. You may, you may lose some acquaintances. People may think things about you. They may say things about you. Why? Because you're going a different direction which if you pay attention, the people that talk bad about you, the direction they're going is usually not very good. And if I have a choice to go in the flow in the direction of God and his kingdom or the kingdom of the world and the people I know that are going that direction, it's a very easy choice to make. And see, his kingdom, if you get inside his castle and there's all these things for you, there's some rules to abide by. He's a king. He's a king. It's not like he's a hotel clerk saying, I got you a room, do whatever you want to. He's a king. He said, all this is yours, but here's the ways of the kingdom. Here's how I operate. Here's my ways. And Jesus showed us, like the reason he lived life on earth for 33 years was to show us the ways of the kingdom, to show us what it was like to live by the kingdom principles. And by doing so, we can follow his example and live out the kingdom life here on earth. But we act like spoiled superstar athletes. What that means is, you know, yesterday I got to watch the Tennessee Titans. Not just beat, but put Tom Brady in retirement. Put Bill Belichick in retirement. And take a win away from New England. I got to watch that. I watch all you Alabama and Auburn guys celebrate playoffs all the time. For us, it's a very rare occasion. And I celebrate it. And in celebrating, the reason they won is Mike Vrabel came to Tennessee last year with a different philosophy than the last coach had. He had a philosophy of how we play football, who we are, how we work, how disciplined we are, how we practice. Then he had strategies that they were going to use to implement to be winning football players in a team. Then he has a game plan for each and every game. So he has this strategy and flight. He's the coach. He gets to decide how they play, what they play, and who plays. Now players, when they come, they have to learn to adjust or acclimate to his system. If they don't, they don't normally make the team. What happens is you have some players who think, well, you know, I'm pretty special. I was a Heisman Trophy winner. I was a superstar at my school. I was this, I was that. They think, well, coach knows what he's doing, but I know a little bit better about how I play. And in doing so, they mess up the scheme or the game plan. Could you imagine last night? Derrick Henry runs seven times in a row from the 25-yard line all the way to the goal line. Domination. Thank you, Alabama football, for the greatest product the Titans have ever had. Thank you. Seven plays in a row. Could you imagine Ryan Tannehill says, whoa, I've thrown for over 5,000 yards before. Why am I going to give the ball to Derrick Henry? I can throw the ball. And he goes, hey, I know Coach said give the ball to Derrick Henry, but listen, 
I, I know what we can do. And he goes out, he starts throwing the ball down the field and gets an interception, gets this. Coach will be mad, right? That's not going with the strategy. In the same way, God is the coach. He drafts us onto his team. And none of us were Heisman Trophy winners. None of us were superstars. We were all overlooked. We were the kid playing dodgeball or kickball in the playground. Everybody's picking everybody else. You're the last one standing like, what about me? Like, we're that guy spiritually. We have nothing to offer God. We have nothing to make him better. We have nothing to benefit him. We have nothing to offer him. But he chose us. Do you get that? He chose you to be part of his kingdom. He chose you to be part of his team or his family. He says, I want you in my family. I want you in my kingdom. He opens up the door to his castle through the blood of Jesus and invites you in. He says, all this is yours, but here's how we do things in the kingdom. If you all of a sudden say, well, you know, I know God knows what he's doing, but you know, I'm pretty good too. And I think I can do this a little bit better than God. I promise you, he's not going to leave you in his kingdom for long. Ask Lucifer. Ask his angels. There's a way in God's kingdom. And when you learn to operate in his way, you have access to everything he has. And in doing so, you learn to honor the king and the king's ways because the king brought you from nothing to everything. The king is the one that picked you when everybody else overlooked. The king is the one who loved you when everybody else said you were loveless. The king is the one who picked you when everyone else cast you down as nothing. The king is the one who chose you out of all things. He chose you and invited you in even though you were an enemy to his kingdom. That's an amazing love. That is grace at its most simplest definition. You were an enemy of God and God still chose you and invited you in. Here's my, here's my challenge to you. If you used to be an enemy to God and he invited you into his kingdom, stop being an enemy and start being a servant. Stop, uh, start honoring him as king. In doing so, you'll live a life in the castle with all the king's inheritance, with all the king's things, with all the king's love, with all the king's power. He has a way. And one of the greatest ways of God is he uses the church as the vehicle or the vessel for his kingdom. And this is vital. Because I believe many people think that the church is the kingdom of heaven. And as a matter of fact, many of us will, will preach that. That if you know, you just get plugged into church, church changes everything. No, no, no. Church doesn't change anything. Jesus changes everything. His kingdom changes. When you get out of that kingdom into God's kingdom, you may get in the church kingdom. It may not change anything. You get in God's kingdom. See, many times we confuse the two. That if, you know, it's 2020, if I start going to church, it'll make some things better. It may, but eternally, until you get into the flow of God's kingdom, nothing's going to change. See, the church, even though it's not the kingdom, it's vitally important because it's God's chosen vehicle to bring transformation to you and to the world. It's the vessel he uses to guide his kingdom towards eternity. It's important. As a matter of fact, you know, we live in a day and age where people are like, I don't need church, you know, you know, I have a relationship with God, or you know, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, you know, I got a hashtag church hurt. Like, hashtag church hurt. Paul had hashtag church. I don't think any of us have gotten stoned by the church yet. So until you get stoned, church hurt is not real. Now there's abuses, stuff like that, I get that. But here's the deal. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't like his church. Because like, I'm married to a If you say, well, I like you, Bobby, but I can't stand your wife. Well, then, bro, I don't like you. Like, we're one. You don't get to separate us. You don't get to say, Jesus, I love you, but I don't like your bride very much. The bride is his chosen vessel. And as a matter of fact, there's over 200 scriptures or commandments, I believe, that you cannot fulfill in the New Testament without being a committed, submitted member of a local church. So all the people say, I don't need church. I, you know, I just got me and Jesus got our thing going on. What they're saying is, I'm not a Bible-believing Christian. I'm a self-centered, I want Jesus to serve me in what I want. That's what it really says. That's how vitally important it is. But even that, it's not the kingdom. It's just the vessel or the vehicle of the kingdom. I look at it like this. Toy grew up going on cruises. I didn't go to vacations growing up. And so a couple years ago, her parents took us on our first cruise. We've been on one since then. But the cruise ship, 
you don't really care where the cruise ship is going. They don't sell you on, hey, we're going to stop in the Caribbean or we're going to stop at St. Thomas because what they're saying is we're going to stop in St. Thomas for like an hour and 20 minutes. It's going to take you about an hour to get off this little cattle track of a boat to get to where you're They don't sell you on the destination. They sell you on the boat. The boat has water slides. The boat has casinos. The boat has all-you-can-eat buffets bigger than this church so that you can get your bellies big, then be ashamed to wear your swimming suit to the water slides and the pool on the boat. They're selling you on the vessel or the vehicle, right? The destination is unimportant. Well, for us, the destination is vitally important. If I'm going to jump on a ship, I need to make sure the ship is going in the right direction. Because what happens is, if you jump on the ship, we make churches out to be carnival cruise ships. Bigger water slides, bigger programs, bigger this, bigger that. That's great. It's entertaining you. Now the church is the destination. The problem is, God's destination is a flowing river out of here into the world to make an impact and bring life wherever it may go. So this ship, if we dress it up too nice, we make it water slides and balloons and parties and all this good stuff, that's fine. But the ship has to keep moving because if you get on the ship and it doesn't move, it now becomes an evacuation center, not a transformation center. You might as well call yourself a, a contemporary Amish person. I just want to get away from culture, have a little different experience, but I don't want to go where God wants me to go. See, in reality, the church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. Where you get on this ship, the church, God's vessel, everyone has a part to play. See, on a cruise ship, you're laid back, you're, you're sunning, all the staff do the work, all the staff take care of everything, you just get comfortable, you just get relaxed. That's what a lot of churches, even us, we fight against. I don't want you to get comfortable. I don't want you to think the staff is just here to take care of your needs. I want the staff to challenge you to get out of your pew, get up, and start doing what God has called you to do. I want you to be uncomfortable because on a battleship, everyone's manning something. Everybody has a part to play. You're not comfortable because you're going in a direction where there's a war. And I'm telling you, there's a war outside of these walls. And God wants this river to flow to where the war is. You can't keep running away from culture. You have to go at culture, but prepared on the vessel that God has prepared to take us to battle, which is God's church. So that's, that's what the river is. It's this kingdom of heaven is taking us to spread his kingdom wherever we may go. But where does this river come from? Where, where does this river start from? And the scripture says it starts from the sanctuary. It starts from the altar, as a matter of fact. And the altar literally is the presence of the Lord. That's where God dwelt at in the temple. But here's my problem. We think, we, we've been trained to think that things change from the bottom up. We think politics, things start at the bottom, grassroots, and they change things. We think you know, Uber and Facebook, all these great startup companies, Amazon, they start at the bottom and they change things at the top. That's how the world does things. In the world, you start a, a riot or a revolution by stirring up people and taking something over from the bottom up. God starts things from the top down. He goes heaven down. He never goes ground and what happens is you start thinking the flow of the river is differently, different than what you think it should be. What that means is this Tennessee River, it doesn't start right here. It starts, you trace it, it goes all the way up east, all the way past Neyland Stadium where they haven't had a win in a few years, past Neyland Stadium, and it splits into two rivers that are the sources. I think one's the Holmes or Holson River and something else, something Branch River. They go all the way up to the Appalachian Mountains in North Carolina. So the source of the Tennessee River upstream is the Appalachian Mountains in North Carolina. That means all the water in this Tennessee River is water from North Carolina. It's not Alabama water. It's not Tennessee water. It's not Georgia water. It's north. That is the source. That is upstream. This water is the result of what's happening upstream. Here is the problem. God says the source of this river is the presence of God. It is heaven. It is where his presence is. That is the source of this river. Everything else was the results, the life, the hope, the greenery, the changing of salt water to fresh water. That's all a result of the source. If we start thinking 
that it's the source is us. Like if we worship hard enough, if we do this, then this will happen, this will flow. What happens is we start creating a backflow. Here's how I can explain it. Whenever you have a, an outside hose pipe, there's a backflow preventer on that hose pipe. Because when you turn the water off, sometimes it'll suck the water back up towards where the source is. We live in a day and age where culture is so strong and we have so many cultural Christians. In order to entertain the cultural Christians and keep them comfortable, to keep them coming to church, we start letting the culture define the flow of the river. Now, now follow me just a second. So we start letting things outside of the temple, things outside the sanctuary, the way people behave out there, the what things people want out there, start determining the flow of what God wants in his presence. And once we do that, it becomes this backflow where then culture starts washing back into the church, back towards the temple, back towards the altar, and it backflows in and it taints that which is pure. Once it's tainted, God removes himself from it and lets people have it. Not only does that happen in churches, it happens in believers. Where instead of you having this heaven down source, you start getting so cultural, you start taking culture and trying to make God conform to what you want and what you desire. See, Jesus is not, is not the way to get the best life has to offer. I don't care what to tell you on TBN. I don't care what care the preacher tells you. You cannot use Jesus to get the best out of life. He's not going to give you the best life in the shoals or the best life in America. That is not why he came from heaven to earth. What he will give you, Jesus is the means to the best heaven has to offer you. And I'm telling you, what heaven has to offer you is much better than what life has to offer. The problem in our get-rich-quick scheme and our high-debt schemes, we want the best now, 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 now. Heaven is the best, but it takes patience and perseverance to get it. And Jesus is the means he showed us on earth what it would look like to receive heaven. He prayed it. Not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He changed the game up. See, what he's saying is, I realize this flow starts from God down to me, not from me up to God. And this is a major shift. That goes from, from human, person-centered Christianity to Jesus-centered Christianity. Because the Bible, we read it like it's about us, but this Bible, this is not about you. This Bible is about the king and his invitation to us to be a part of his kingdom. And it changes the game when you move from an honoring God priority to an honoring man priority. And once it changes, my, my, I prayed about this all last part of last year. And our whole theme and we're going to launch it next week. Our whole theme for this year for our church is for the king, for the kingdom. So we had enough for the person, for our desire, for our church, whatever. It's for the king, meaning we're going to honor the king, and we're going to honor his kingdom. We're going to honor the king and do what the king wants, and we're going to watch his kingdom flow through us into the world around us. And the book that highlights this the most in this scripture is 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a book written by Peter who was the one who cut off the dude's ear who tried to arrest Jesus. He's the one that denied Jesus three times. He was the hothead. He was the, let's go get him, let's go kill him. He, he was rocky, some people called it. And he writes his book to all these churches that are along this coastal path that were living as Roman colonies. So there were former countries that Rome had taken over and tried to make them look like Rome. And he has all these believers there, and he's trying to teach them what it looks like to live out your faith Live out the kingdom in a culture that's opposite of what you're trying to live out. So what does it look like for us to live out the kingdom of heaven in the shoals? Because it's going a different direction. What's it look like for us to live out the kingdom of heaven, the culture of heaven, the culture of the kingdom, in a culture that says that's wrong? If you pay attention, the society we live in will celebrate passionate love for anything. If you passionately love Alabama, they'll celebrate that. If you passionately love same-sex attraction, they'll celebrate that. If you passionately love your Republican Party, your Democrat Party, they'll, they'll celebrate that. But if you passionately love Jesus, there's a problem. That's a problem. You're a fundamentalist, you're this, you're, you're radical. No, no, no. So what it is is they realize if you love God passionately, you're in a kingdom that's going the opposite direction of them. So how can I love God passionately flowing in this river that's going the opposite direction of people who want to stop me from flowing in that direction? Peter says, listen, 
He says, you're exiles. He says, the place you're living at, that's not your home. You're a citizen of heaven. You're not a citizen of the Republican Party, the Democrat Party. See, that's the flow of the world trying to suck you into their junk. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You don't have a president. You have a king. You don't have a government. You have a kingdom. You have all. He's saying, listen, this world is passing by. This isn't your home. You're part of this kingdom. And if you could remember that, this stuff's passing away. Your stuff is going to last forever. Then he tells them stuff like this. He says, listen, you can glorify God in the good things in life and the bad things in life. If you're doing well, you can glorify him and advance his kingdom. If you're suffering, you can still advance his kingdom. If you're going through cancer, you can still glorify God. He's comparing these two things and teaching us how to honor God in a culture that does not. And he says things like this in, in 1 Peter 2, one of my favorite scriptures. It says this, but you are a chosen race. You are chosen. God chose you as his own people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Meaning you can honor him who called you out of sin, called you out of shame, who called you out of fear, who called you out of anxiety into his peace, into his hope, into his life. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against you. Meaning, I, I strongly encourage you, don't be like the flow of the world. Stay in the flow of this kingdom. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, because they will, because you passionately love Jesus, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. He's saying, you are a little colony of heaven. And he uses language with the Roman Empire, because the Roman Empire, what they would do is they'd come over, if say it was the shoals, they'd come, they'd take over the shoals, they'd build Roman architecture, they'd bring Roman people, they'd bring Roman culture. So everywhere you went, you may think you're in Alabama, but you would feel like Rome. It would smell like Rome, it would look like Rome. If you ate the food, it would taste like Rome. The only thing we can equate it to, if you go to New York or a large city, they have little China, little Italy, little Mexico. I took a tour to New York a couple of Christmases ago, and there's little Italy. I want to get some really good pizza. So we're there, and you, or little China. So we went to little China, and in this one glass storefront, they had ducks hanging that were skinned, dead ducks, hanging from ropes in the store. I told Toy, I was like, we should eat there. She said, mm-mm. I said, babe, it's fresh. She said, it's too fresh. You walk in a Chinese restaurant, it smells like China. It looks like China. All the writing on the signs is Chinese. Everything feels like China. He's saying in the scripture, you may live in America, but it should be a colony of the kingdom of heaven. That it should smell like heaven. It should taste like heaven. You should have the joy of heaven, the hope of heaven, the peace of heaven. That every, everywhere the kingdom of heaven goes, it flows and it should smell with the aroma of the presence of God. That's what he's, he said, you can live in such a way that you're isolated from the flow of culture because you're flowing in this river of God. And so my encouragement to you would be, let it flow in you. Let the kingdom of heaven flow in you and let it flow through you because this river, it's gonna flow anywhere and everywhere where God's presence is recognized and where he's honored. Anywhere God's presence is recognized, when you recognize God's presence is there and he's um omnipresent. He's everywhere. And you honor him as king and lord. He will begin to flow in your life. And I want you to connect these dots if you can. Here's, here's what that looks like. Anywhere God's presence is and he is honored, this kingdom will begin to flow. In Genesis chapter 2, it says in verse 10, a river, everybody say a river, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. There it divided and became four Rivers. The name of the first one is Pishon, is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there was gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there as well. The name of the second river is Gihon, it is on the, the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the third is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. He's saying, in the Garden of Eden, out of all of creation, God created everything. The Garden of Eden is where He chose to dwell. Where he chose to dwell and where Adam and Eve honored him, this river of life flowed in every single direction. 
This river produced life everywhere. Then you get to Ezekiel 47, you get this prophetic word of this river flowing out of the sanctuary. God's presence, river flowing. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal, flowing from the what? The throne of God and of the Lamb. I mean, this river, in Genesis 2, we see a picture of it flowing out of the presence of God. Adam and Eve sinned. They, they didn't honor the king. They honored their own kingdom. The river stopped. Then we see in Ezekiel 47 this prophecy of what it would look like if this river would flow here on earth again. It produced life anywhere and everywhere it touched. Then we see the end of the story, the whole meta-narrative of the Bible. Revelation 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God or the presence of God through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side, the Cobber County side and the Lauderdale County side, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were of the healing or for the healing of the nations. That's the exact same word used in Ezekiel. And what God is saying is anywhere his presence is recognized and anywhere he's honored as king, his river of this kingdom begins to flow in every direction. And where it flows, it produces life. It produces hope in you first and foremost and then through you and around you. So the question would be, if that's where it starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation, where is this river today? Where is this river? This river flowing out of the sanctuary, this river of life, this river of hope, where is it? The Pharisees asked Jesus. kept preaching about the kingdom of heaven. They said, where is it? Luke 17, he says this. He says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Or the kingdom of God is within you. Why? Because the sanctuary of God is on the inside of us now. Jesus died to cleanse your spirit, so now your spirit is where God resides. That's the new temple of God, so that wherever he's honored as king and his presence is recognized, the kingdom of heaven begins to flow in you and bring joy and bring hope and bring patience and bring peace and bring everything you're needing for 2020. So my strong encouragement would be, maybe today's the day you undam the river of the Lord in your heart. Maybe that betrayal, that unforgiveness, maybe that disobedience to the king. Maybe you honor the king by saying, I'm sorry for doing things the way I wanted to do it. I'm sorry for trying to enter your kingdom by trying to be my own king. And let that river start to flow in your heart. It'll, it'll wash out areas of pain. It'll wash out areas of betrayal. It'll wash out areas of offense. It'll wash out areas of sin in renewing you a new heart. But not only that, then let the river flow out of you into those around you. Not be a selfish believer that receives from God, but be an unselfish believer that receives and freely gives. In John 7, verse 37, he's talking about this water. He's like, you come to me, you won't thirst. He's like, it's not physical water. He says, there'll be rivers of flowing water, rushing water flowing up out of you. And the self said, what kind of river is this? He said, it's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God should be flowing through you. And he's saying, once you have the kingdom of God inside of you, it's your job as a believer to release that so that everywhere you go looks like, feels like, tastes like, and is like heaven. That you produce life in the relationships you touch. You produce hope and the people at your job. You produce life through the Dream Center, and life through your school, and life through your jobs, and you produce, you are the river. Touch neighbor say, you are the river. You are the river. God is looking for a people that he can use as vessels of the kingdom of heaven, and he's called you and chosen you to be those people. And here's how it starts. You say, Father, I'm loyal to you as my king. Not myself, not my own agenda. I'm loyal to you as my king. And that willing obedience, that, that, that change of direction changes everything. You are my, I willingly submit to your lordship. That changes the game for you. 
It moves you from a gospel of salvation to a gospel of the kingdom, and now God can start working through your life. Now you're entering into his kingdom. Now you have access to things you didn't have access to before. Then you say, I'm loyal to your kingdom, not my own. Meaning for your kingdom. I live for your kingdom. I live for your glory. I live for your purpose. I live for your joy. I live for you and you alone. Once you get to that place, life just seems to kind of work out. And then realize, God, I'm going to let you use my life for your glory. The good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, it's all yours. It's easy to glorify God in the good, but can you glorify God in the bad? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. We're going to take communion in just a second, but I want to I deal with some things in the room. Here's the, here's the question. I'm not going to have anybody stand up today or, or come down forward, but I am going to ask you to raise your hand as a sign of physical repentance. Here's what it is. Maybe you've accepted the gospel of salvation and you've been living on the threshold. You've been frustrated with God because you haven't received and seen the promises of God come to fruition. You have one foot in and one foot out. Or maybe you've dammed up that flow of the river in your heart. And you've gotten frustrated, you've gotten bitter, you lack joy, you lack hope, you lack faith. And God is telling you today, that as you repent and you say, I'm willing to obey you instead of what I feel, instead of what I think, I want to obey how you think and what you say. And that repentance will break open that dam of maybe hurt or offense or sin in your heart. And let that river flood into your heart to start the process of renewing you once again. And then it comes to submitting to his lordship and learning how to operate in the kingdom through the king's way. And maybe that's you. Maybe 2020 is your year to get out of just the gospel of salvation, just one foot in and get all the way in. Jump from the riverbanks into the river of what God has in store for you. If that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Not going to have you come up. That's you. Say, you know, God is speaking to my heart. That's you. Just slip your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? You can put your hands down if you raised them. I'm about to pray in a second. I just want you to pray along with me if you raise your hand. But I also want you to do me a favor. If you could, we, we don't believe, again, this is the beginning, not the end. We want you to get all the way into the kingdom, not just at the doorstep. And there are steps you can take to help you. We want to help you. If you would stop by the info center when you leave today, let them know you raise your hand. Let them give you a gift that will help get you started in the direction of walking in God's kingdom. It would, it would be my honor to do so. Father, we love you. And we bless you in this place today as king, as deliverer, as redeemer, as healer. Father, we know this world and everything in it is yours. And right now, Father, we just submit to you, your reign, your rule, and your authority in us and in this world. And Father, we just ask for every single person to raise their hand, acknowledging that you are king. Father, as they've repented, as they've confessed, I pray that you wash out areas of their hearts that are broken, areas of their heart that are full of sin and shame and guilt. Father, renew their hearts. And Father, allow for your kingdom to flow in and through their lives. Father, allow for this confession, not just be confession of forgiveness, but a confession that you are Savior and Lord of their lives. Father, we ask that you renew relationships, that you renew strength, and that you fill them with your Holy Spirit in every single area of their lives. And we thank you for it. And we love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.